morning. Today's uh, scripture reading is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thus begins the most important book that has ever been written. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. It's a curious way to start such an important book. In the beginning was the Word. And in order to to understand what John is trying to say to us here, I want to tell you a story. Um, A couple years ago, I was home in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee for, for Christmas and went with some members of my extended family to see uh, The Hobbit at the movie theaters. The Hobbit is uh, the prequel to J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series. And I love, I I love going to the movies. Uh, I like like just walking in and smelling the popcorn, right? I don't even like to eat popcorn that much. I just like the smell of popcorn. So we came in, we got our tickets, we got our glasses because we were watching it in 3D. Uh, and then we took out a small loan so we could go to the concession stand. Because that's ridiculous, right? Uh, and, and we got all of our stuff. And we got into the movie theater. We sat down. And the movie started. And about three or four minutes into the movie, this little girl, who could have been more than seven or eight behind me, said in what is to a seven or eight-year-old a whisper, but not really a whisper. She leaned over to her mom. And she said, Mom, I don't want to wear my glasses. Apparently, they clashed with her outfit. So, her mom said, it's fine, honey, take your glasses off. Crisis averted. Then about four or five minutes later, the little girl leaned over and said to her mom, Mom, 
Everything's fuzzy. Have you ever tried to watch a 3D movie without 3D glasses? The little girl's right. Everything's fuzzy. Nothing quite fits together the way that it's supposed to. It's, it's, it's just fuzzy, kind of shadowy. But the thing is, if you, if you look at it through the right lens, the environment around you becomes dynamic. You gotta use the right lens. John said, in the beginning was the word. The term word in Greek is the term logos. It's a word with which we are somewhat more familiar than we might think. We use it all the time. Biology. Bios, logos. Bios means life. Logos means the study of, the understanding of, the process of, the logic. Logos, logic of life. Biology is the logic of life. Theology, the logic of God, the understanding of God. Numerology, the logic of numbers, the understanding of numbers. In the ancient Near East... Philosophers would would refer to the Logos as the mind of God. So what John is saying to us in his way, what John is saying to us is, if you want to understand the cosmos, everything came into being through him. Without him, nothing was made. What John is saying is, you want to look at the world around you and understand it, you've got to begin by looking through the lens of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, everything remains blurry. John begins with the biggest of all bangs. You want to understand the world around you? You've got to look through the lens of Christ. Why? Because he says in verse 3 this. He says, what has come into being in him is life. John says, it's not just if you want to understand the cosmos. You want to understand your own life and where you came from. You want to understand that you've got to look through the lens of Jesus Christ because that is where life came from. So we ask questions about life a lot. We just finished a sermon series where we were essentially asking questions about our lives. And we start this process of asking questions when we're really young. I'm pretty confident that someday soon one of my kids is going to come and ask me a question about life in the form of asking, Daddy, where do babies come from? And here's what I'm going to say to them. <clears throat> One of my children comes to me and says, ask me this question about life, Daddy, where do babies come from? I'm going to say, Honey, a spermatocyte from a male implants itself and an oocyte from a female, thus creating a zygote. And following a nine-month gestation period, the uterus goes into a series of contractions and expels a fetus. What do you think? You think that could work? I know you're saying to me, but Rob, your kids are six and three. They're probably not going to understand that. That's the point. Because here's the thing. I don't know how you parent... But I have forbidden my children to go on their first date until the day after they graduate with their master's degree. <laughs> you parent how you want to, I'm a parent how I want to. Okay? My kids come up and ask me a question about life, Daddy, where do babies come from? I'm going to him and haw. But you, want, you know what would happen if somebody came up to John, the author of John, and said, Hey man, uh, where do babies come from? John would say babies come from Jesus. That's what he'd say. And you know what? Truthfully, that's a pretty great answer. Because what John wants us to know is that our biological processes, sexual congress, that's just details. 
You want to know where life comes from? In Him is life. But that's not all. In verse 4, Jesus goes on to say, And that life was the light of all people. The life was the light of all people. You want to understand the cosmos, you've got to understand it through the lens of Christ. You want to understand your life, you've got to understand it through the lens of Christ. Why? Because the life of Christ is the light of the world. Can you imagine the world without light? I can't. And there's a reason we can't imagine the world without light. It's because the way God organized the world is such that, at least on the earth, you've got to have light in order to have life. They're inextricably related to one another. You guys think you can handle going deep with me for a minute? Buckle up. Here we go. 400 years before John wrote his gospel, a philosopher by the name of Plato generated his seminal work called the Republic. And at the end of Plato's Republic is a famous story called the Allegory of the Cave. This is a visual depiction of the allegory of, cave, of the cave. And what Plato said in the allegory of the cave is this. He said, when human beings exist on the earth without knowledge, it's like we're chained inside a cave. And the way he describes it is that we're chained in such a way as the cave, we're facing the walls of the cave and the light's somewhere behind us and all we can see now are shadows. We can't see the light. Only the shadow that's being cast behind us. And so the world itself is blurry and fuzzy. It's a fraction of what it really is. And what Plato says is then once we begin to experience knowledge, we come out of the cave and instead of seeing everything as darkness and shadow, we begin to see things for what they really are. Now, this is the philosophical environment into which John, the philosopher theologian, was writing And John is in conversation with Plato here. John wants us to know that what brings us out of the darkness of the cave into the light of God isn't knowledge. What brings us out of darkness into light is Christ. You want to understand the universe? You've got to look through the lens of Jesus. You want to understand your own life, John says. You've got to look through the lens of Jesus. You want to know how to come out of darkness into God's marvelous light. You must do it through Jesus. Now look at verse 5 with me for just a minute. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Did you notice the tense there? John wants us to know Jesus is not just the Lord of creation and of the past. John wants us to know that Jesus Christ was was the Lord on the day when light conquered darkness. John wants us to know that in Christ, light holds the future. I love this idea. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not overcome it, which means the future belongs to the light. But there is something in this text that's covered up by the fact that it was written in a different language. You see that word overcome? The word overcome in Greek is the word katalambano. And katalambano can be translated as to overcome. Light came in the darkness, the darkness did not overcome it. It can also be translated as understand. Light came into the darkness and the darkness could not 
understand it. And the reason I love John and the way he phrased this is because both of those realities are true. It is true that darkness did not overcome light, but it's also true darkness doesn't understand light. People who walk in light are weird to people who live in darkness. The best way to illustrate this is to talk about the way that Jesus Christ himself illustrated the kingdom of God. In the most important sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins with a series of beatitudes. You always thought, well, always thought that we were blessed when we were rich. Jesus says you're blessed when you're poor. Matthew records it as being poor in spirit. Luke just says blessed when you're poor. We always thought that we were blessed when we were comfortable. Jesus says we're blessed when we're being persecuted. The crazy thing about the kingdom of God is this. If you want to be first, what do you have to be? Last. Yeah. You want to lead, you got to serve. And the kingdom of God, if you want to live, you got to die. Jesus said this way, those who want to save their lives will lose them, but those who lose their lives for my sake will find that their lives have been saved. The kingdom of God just doesn't make any sense. It's an upside down kind of kingdom unless you look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. John does not want us to miss it. John doesn't want us to miss the importance of the Christ event. When Christ comes to the earth, He changes everything. He changes the way we understand the cosmos, changes the way we understand our lives. He changes the way we are ushered out of darkness into light. And this kingdom is not an intuitive place in which to live. It takes some getting used to. It reminds me of the story of a little boy who 25, or 75 years ago found a flyer advertising that the circus was coming to town. And he was so excited. And he ran home and he showed the flyer to his dad. He said, Dad, the circus is coming. Can I go? And the dad looked at the flyer and said, Well, son, it costs a dollar. It's a lot of money for us. But I'll tell you what. You do everything you're supposed to do this week and I'll make sure come Saturday morning you've got enough money to go to the circus. So that little boy was a perfect little boy all week. He did all of his chores. He did all of his homework. He ate his Brussels sprouts. Talk about things that other people don't understand. I don't understand people who eat Brussels sprouts, church. Now here's what's going to happen. Thank you for that amen. Here's what's going to happen. On Tuesday, somebody's going to show up to my office with a batch of stewed Brussels sprouts and say, the reason you don't like Brussels sprouts is because you never had mine. No, that is not the reason. Please don't bring me Brussels sprouts. Please. Love your pastor enough to do that. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is he was a perfect little boy. And so come Saturday morning, come Saturday morning after this wonderful, perfect week of his, his daddy gave him a fresh Brand new, hot off the presses, never before folded one dollar bill. And that little boy was so excited, he ran into town. And when he got to town, he saw something curious. The, the residents of the town were all lined up along the streets. And being just a little guy, he kind of made his way to the front. And he saw what was fascinating. So the circus was in parade going into the circus grounds. And the little boy looked and he saw things he couldn't believe. Like he saw people with funky red hair and big orange noses and shoes that were six sizes too big. He saw grown men riding little bitty tricycles. 
He looked and he saw the biggest animal he'd ever seen in his life. It had a nose that went all the way down to the ground. And every once in a while, every once in a while, the trainer would say a word and the animal would rear back on his hind legs and let out this trumpet of a noise. A few minutes later, he saw this cage, wrought iron. Inside the cage was the biggest cat the boy had ever seen, orange and black stripes. It looked right at the boy, roared and shook the boy's insides. Every sight, every scene was more majestic and amazing than the one that had been before it. And so the parade went on. Into the circus grounds where they were setting up for the show, the parade went on. And the parade ended. At the back of the parade was one clown just walking down the middle of the road. As the parade ended, the little boy took his $1 bill Stepped off the sidewalk, walked into the middle of the road, gave the clown his dollar. He turned around and he went home. You know what the moral of that story is? The boy settled for a parade when he could have had the whole circus. He settled for a parade when he could have had the whole circus. John wants to make sure we don't settle. John writes 30 or 40 years after the earliest Gospels are published. Why? Because John is afraid that people have missed the point. John wants us to understand that Jesus has redefined everything. And he doesn't want us to miss it. You want to understand the cosmos, you look at it through the lens of Christ. You want to understand your life, you look at it through the lens of Christ. You want to understand how to come out of darkness. It happens through Christ. John doesn't want us to miss it. Now, what happens? What happens if we begin to embody this new perspective? What happens if we begin to live into this reality of light rather than darkness and inhabit the upside-down kingdom? Everything changes. If we see the world the way that John invites us to see the world, everything changes. If I'm a teacher, I'm not just a teacher. I'm a teacher for Christ, which means that my task isn't simply to educate young minds. It's to help young parts hear and explore and respond to the call of the living God in their lives. If I'm a doctor or a nurse, I'm not just trying to help people feel better. I'm healing them to the glory of God so they can bring light into darkness. If I serve in the United States military, God bless you. If I serve in the United States military, it's not simply so that we can win our next war. It's so that we can help ensure the blessings of liberty to all flesh the way God has dreamed it could be. My friends, when we see the world through the lens of Christ, it changes the way we see ourselves. I'm no longer defined by the degree that I hold by how much money's in my 401k or the square footage of my house. I'm not defined by my marital status or my number of children or lack thereof. I'm not defined by my job. All of those things could change. The one immutable and unchanging reality of your life and mine is that the God who created the universe gave you life and a reason to live it to help usher light into darkness. Look at verse 16 with me. From His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. I love that phrase. Grace upon grace. Listen, if all this conversation about logos and logic and lenses and 
and philosopher theologians has left you behind, just know this. The Word became flesh and brought grace upon grace to the world. The Word became flesh and brought grace upon grace to the world. We're surrounded in grace. We're swimming in grace. We are owned by grace. Grace is with us before the moments we first draw breath on this earth. Grace is with us in the moments of our baptism. Grace is with us when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior and when through our spiritual development and spiritual resources, whether those disciplines be reading our Bible and praying or engaging in small groups, however we are inhabiting those those resources right now, those in, in those moments, the grace of God is transforming us and reforming us into the image of God. The point is, because Jesus came, grace is inescapable. And we get to be part of that which brings grace to the world. When I was in fifth grade, at Sevierville Middle School. I, uh, I went to church at a little bitty church. My uncle was actually the pastor. And one day, he preached a sermon about having grace for those who are different than we are. He actually preached from, from John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well. I was so empowered and impressed and moved by what he said that day that I decided that I wanted God to be able to work through me. See, in my class, there was one little boy. His name was Roger. Uh, And Roger was a perfectly delightful young man. But sometimes, sometimes kids are mean. And for whatever reason, Roger was kind of the outcast. And I don't know if you remember much about being in fifth grade or not, but maybe the most important thing in your life in fifth grade is who you sit with at lunch. And Roger sat by himself every day at lunch. And the way that it worked at Sevierville Middle School was that we had rows of little round tables. And you could sit at any round table you wanted to as long as you sat in your class's row of little round tables. So I would sit with my basketball teammates and Cheerleaders, cheerleaders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Roger always sat at a table by himself. So I heard this sermon on Sunday. On Monday morning, come lunchtime, I went and I sat with Roger. Can I tell you something? If you compelled me through waterboarding, I couldn't tell you what the name of my teacher was in fifth grade. I honestly couldn't tell you the name of a single other student in my class. In fifth grade. The one real memory of fifth grade I have is sitting at lunch with Roger. Now, fast forward 25 years. The Sunday before I came to be pastor here at Ebenezer Church, I was back home in Tennessee again because my dad had a hip replacement. And my uncle invited me to come and preach at that little church. They had like 25, 30 people, okay, the same church I grew up in. And it was good for my soul. To go. In fact, I preached the same sermon to them that I was going to preach to you the next week. I practiced on them. <laughs> I didn't tell them that, but I did. <laughs> After worship, I was standing in the parking lot. And this man walked up and he said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no. 
He said, my name's Roger, and we used to eat lunch together in fifth grade. (laughs) Right? Here's the thing. I was in fifth grade. I didn't understand grace. I'll tell you something else. I'm 39 now. Pastor of a big old church. I still don't always understand grace. But what I know is this. No matter how old we are, no matter what our perspective has been in the past, when we say to the word of God, when we say to the living word of Christ in our hearts and our lives, when we say to God, I am willing to let you use me, then God begins to use us to bring grace upon grace to the world. John changes the way we see the earth. You want to understand the big stuff, the cosmos? You got to understand Christ. You want to understand the minuscule details of your lives? You got to understand Christ. You want to usher people and yourself out of darkness into light? It's got to happen through Christ, but that's not all. John gives us clarity about our purpose and our mission. John says that we get to be those who help others experience grace upon grace. Now, If you'll indulge me, I just have one final thought this morning, and it's this. We spent our time today looking at how the Gospel of John begins. I want to show you how the Gospel of John ends as well. Would you look at chapter 21, verse 25? This is the last verse in the fourth Gospel. There are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's the end of the gospel. If all the grace, if all the creative power, if all the love and life and light that God brought into the world, if it were written down into a compendium of books, The cosmos itself is not a big enough library to contain all the grace that our God has given to us. My friends, yes, yes, if we want to understand the cosmos, we got to understand it through Jesus. And if we want to understand our lives, we got to understand through Jesus. And if we want to come out of darkness into light, we got to understand it through Jesus. But that's not all. Christ has invited us onto the the floor of mission. He's invited us to participate in His mighty act of salvation to the world. Jesus has invited us to add our chapter of grace to the library of grace until grace upon grace means that the entire world is drowning in grace. The Gospel of John is the greatest story ever retold. He retells the story of Jesus Christ to make sure we don't miss the most important parts. And so over the course of these next few weeks, we'll be joining together in this intensive discipleship study of John to try and better understand our God and the calling that God places upon our lives to bring grace upon grace to the world. I hope you'll join us next week for our next installment.